This morning we're going to be opening our Bible quite a bit, so if you guys want to reach below you in your pews or in front of you, if you brought a Bible along with or even have one on your phone, let's pull that out. And we're going to start by opening into Romans 12, and we're going to look at verse 4 through 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is an incredibly popular passage to study in the church. It's an empowering call to action. One that recognizes that each of us has been created uniquely in the image of God. That regardless of our past, our upbringing, our talents, our passions, our jobs, or our finances, God has a place for us in his body. That God can use each of our individual talents and skills our unique personal identity, to play a role in his great kingdom. It allows us to say that we don't need to sit on the sideline. That every single person in this room is going to be counted on. That Jesus has passed on this great commission to all of us to be active participants in the story that he is writing in this world. But I found that as I've studied it this week, it also has a chance to become a little alienating. I mean, Paul is talking about this great body of Christ, and and he's talking about how each of us has a role. And then he goes on to list these roles within the church that few of us resonate with. And we begin to wonder... Well, am I supposed to be a part of this thing? Is there really a place that's carved out for me? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraged, then give encouragement. I don't know that any of us at our core resonate and say, yeah, that's me. That's who God made me to be. Surely we like to encourage others and we like to receive encouragement. But is that truly at the heart of who we are? Certainly many of us in this room enjoy opportunities to serve. But is that truly who we feel that we were made to be? I would say that the likely response is no. And so now we're left wondering, this great body with these many members... Am I really a part of it? Am I really a piece of it? Now the danger in looking at a scripture isolated like this is that we're really trying to find a soundbite. 
And at first, this seems like the perfect soundbite to encourage us all to step forth into action, to live out who we were made to be. It doesn't require any challenge or change. It doesn't require any hard work. It doesn't require any deep reflection in our heart. We just come as we are and and we just do what we do. But you see, Paul continues on. After he's identified these individual talents that may or may not be mutually exclusive from each other, he outlines a list of behaviors and traits and attitudes that he expects all Christians to exemplify. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And the list continues on and on. And Paul identifies over 20 of these behaviors that should be at the very core of who we are as followers of Christ. You see, we can't say, oh, I'm just not a very hospitable person, and so I don't enjoy inviting people into my home. That's a behavior that Paul identifies that all Christians serve. We can't say, oh, I just struggle to reflect and be quiet and pray. No, that's foundational to who we are as believers. We can't say I'm simply a pessimistic person and so I struggle to experience real joy. Or that I'm constantly seeking what's next and so patience is not my thing. Instead, Paul is calling us to practice all of these behaviors. To make sure that each and every one of these is a part of our daily rhythm. My wife is a soccer coach at Downers Grove Roadrunners. And she coaches this this great span of ages. She has little kindergarten girls all the way up to high school varsity players. And I'm always interested to see how she runs her practices and games for these various age groups. The kindergarten games are some of my favorites. The girls are out there on the field. There are no boundaries. There are no positions or referees or offsides or yellow cards being given out. They're running around like an amoeba around the field, all circling around this ball in the middle. Brittany is not on the sideline stressing out about them not playing the right positions or or not checking back into defense. No. She is instilling a desire to play the game. She pulls them to the side to help them work on passing or kicking or dribbling. These very foundational core elements of the game of soccer. However, that's not how she coaches with her high school team. You see, these high school players have begun to master these skills. They can 
pass, they can dribble, they can shoot. And now they're beginning to ask themselves, what position is it that I am most naturally gifted? Some girls have a knack for scoring, and so they find themselves practicing to be a forward. Other girls are tireless, running back and forth on the sidelines, realizing that the midfield probably suits them best. There are girls that are bold and courageous, willing to step between the other opponent and the ball. And so they practice defense. And finally, we have girls that have quick reflexes and sure hands that play the role of the goalie. But you see, none of these girls could begin to hone their skills in their natural positions until they had developed the basic prerequisites of playing the game of soccer. You see, passing is second nature to them. Shooting is second nature to them. Dribbling, they don't need to think about it. They're spacing on the field. They're not thinking about it. Instead, now they're honing their abilities to live into their role in their position. And Paul says it's very similar for us as believers. We do have positions and memberships and roles within this body of Christ. But too often... We jump straight to trying to figure out exactly what role God has for us without developing the basic prerequisites, the basic foundation of living this life of faith. And so that we find that we continually beat our heads against the wall. We start to feel alienating because this doesn't seem to to fit with who we are. You see, this isn't lost on Paul. And throughout his letters to the churches, he tells them these lists of behaviors, these lists of actions. We have another one in 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. You see, Paul sets forth this goal for Christianity. To be these people that are so different from the world that we fight against our very nature to love what is good, to constantly seek out for others rather than ourselves. He sets these lofty examples of what a believer should look like. And oftentimes we find ourselves frustrated that we can't seem to attain that. It's because we are trying to find our membership. We are trying to find our role before we've begun to develop the behaviors that are quintessential to living in this walk with Christ. We're going to jump back into that Romans passage because I think Paul identifies early on why exactly we should follow after all these rules. Why exactly is he so concerned with these lists of behaviors and tactics and habits For a man who throughout his letters says that we are freed from the law, he seems to be obsessed with regulations. 
but I think it's because we're perceiving his desire for us through the wrong lens. 12.2 is a very familiar verse. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul's desire for us is not that we, as people of this world, would suddenly jump and play this integral role in the kingdom of heaven. His desire is that we would begin to transform our minds. That we would begin to see the world differently. That we would begin to engage with God differently. That instead of feeling frustrated that we cannot attain these lofty examples, we would feel empowered to begin developing the habits and behaviors of Christians so that one day we might find that role that he has for us. Theologian N.T. Wright likes to think of it in terms of language. And this resonates with me. When I was in high school, like many, I attempted to learn the Spanish language. And we would sit in class and for hours we would go over conjugations. Thinking about how verbs would change depending on the context or the subject of that verb. We would look at formulas to figure out how to develop sentences. It felt like we were simply treading water. I, I didn't feel like I could speak the language. Instead, I was, I was fixated on these little tables. But our teacher kept telling us, you need to think about Spanish in Spanish, not in English. And at first, I didn't really understand that. But as I've reflected on it, I realized... If you think about Spanish through terms of English, there is always a delay. There is always a pause. If I'm having a conversation with somebody and they speak to me in Spanish, I must hear their words, translate them into English in my head, formulate my response in English, and then retranslate that back out into Spanish. You see, it's unnatural. It causes hesitation. And so instead of simply trying to translate word for word and develop this massive vocabulary of Spanish, for years, students focus on formulas and rules and foundational steps so that when the time comes, they can begin to think about language in terms of Spanish. This was true. I ended up going to Honduras for a summer in high school, and I found that when I first hit the ground, I struggled to interpret what was going on. I was quickly trying to uh, translate every word that I heard and retranslate it back out. But as I stayed there longer, I found myself leaning back on these conjugations, leaning back on these formulas that I had developed to learn and study the language. And suddenly, when put under pressure, I could actually have conversation. You see, this is what Paul is doing with these behaviors, with these tactics. He says, you want to be fluent in faith. You want to look like these believers that are, that are constantly giving to one another. 
that are hating what is evil and loving what is good, that are deeply invested in the mission of God, that are, that are an integral part to this body of believers. But to get there, you need to think about faith in terms of faith. You need to develop behaviors and habits that make faith your second nature. Because otherwise, there will always be a hesitation. Otherwise, there will always be a pause in how we respond to God. If we as people of this world do not take the time to focus and study these behaviors and, and make them present in our life, we will find that every time we read Scripture, we will be translating it into terms that we understand. Taking a moment to decide whether or not that resonates with my life. Every time we hear a pastor preach, we have to ask the question, does that fit with who I am? And then if it does, we retranslate that back out into our best attempt to live out faith. You see, I'm worried that many of us, including myself, see the life of faith as a foreign language. One difficult to be grasped. And I don't think that's for lack of desire. I think that it is because we have neglected the behaviors so transformational for the renewing of our mind. And we have seen them as a list of rules and regulations rather than a list of behaviors that will renew us and change us and develop us into people that are naturally responding back and forth to the movements of the Spirit in our life. You see, Paul continues in that First Thessalonians passage. And he says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks. These are habits. These are behaviors that will begin to transform our mind. These are things that when they become second nature, when they become deeply embedded in who we are, we'll find that we are more prepared to live up to the lofty example of the great apostle Paul. In verse 23, he identifies... His deep desire for us. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's desire is not that we would learn a second language. Paul's desire is that we would be transformed through and through. That our soul, our spirit, our body, our mind would be that of someone that fluently speaks the language of our Lord. It's interesting in all of these lists that we find throughout his epistles, 
There is one thing that remains constant. One thing that remains the same. It is a call to pray continually. In 1 Thessalonians, that that verse is often translated, pray ceaselessly. Paul is not simply calling us to pray when we are in times of trouble or to pray when we are rejoicing or happy. He is not calling us to pray even in the morning or before our meals and before we go to bed. He is calling us to pray ceaselessly or with every breath. And I think that's fitting because one of the most involuntary actions that undergirds our life as humans is breathing. We need oxygen to survive. And so we never hesitate to take a breath. We don't even think about it. Martin Luther says, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Let me say that again. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Each of these habits is so important for us to begin to develop. But as we sit here today, let's choose one. Let's choose to rely on prayer in such a way that we rely on breathing. Because if we are to believe Martin Luther, if we are to believe Paul, it is absolutely essential to who we are as Christians. And I will admit to you that I go far too long holding my spiritual breath. Think about prayer in terms of the breath of life that allows us to enter into this kingdom work. Genesis 2-7, as God is laying the earth in order, he separates man from the rest of his creation. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The very thing that distinguishes you and I from the rest of the created order is the breath of God. With his breath, he gave us a soul. With his breath, he united us with him. So it is fitting that with our breath, we continue to rely on. On his life-giving spirit. Furthermore, Hebrew scholars would say that the word for God used in the Old Testament, Yahweh, is actually without pronunciation. They would argue that it is a word that is phonetically impossible to pronounce and actually is more likely simply the sound of breathing. Our God calls us 
to breathe our prayers to Him. To pray ceaselessly. To rely on His Spirit. To rely on the very thing that gives us physical life in order to give us spiritual life. You will find in your worship pamphlets today an insert. An insert about the spiritual discipline of breath prayer. Take a moment just to pull that out. I want to encourage us to think about this insert as we go about our week. It's a prayer habit that is foreign to me and one that I hope will become a foundation for me in each and every day. It calls us first to begin in silence. To sit quietly in the morning before our God. To allow Him to speak to us. Then, to state your reality. Where is it that you find yourself this morning? Are you feeling exhausted and worn out? Are you feeling filled with joy? Are you feeling particularly tempted? Resonate with that. Reflect on that. Offer that to God. Then, when thinking about your own reality, remind yourself of the promises and attributes of God. He is a good healer. He is all-powerful. He is a great teacher. He is humble. And then, in light of his attributes and your current reality, create a simple prayer that will help keep you grounded in who God is. My prayer this week has been, Good teacher, speak through me. And in that morning... Begin just to recite that simple prayer with each breath that you take. At first it will seem rigid and structured, but as you continue to say it, you will find that it becomes easier and easier to reflect upon throughout your day. And every time you have a chance to think of it, repeat that prayer. And rely on that prayer as your spiritual oxygen for that day. I find that more often than not, my faith walk feels like I'm simply beating my head against a wall. I come to church and I feel challenged and called to live in this certain way. The rest of the afternoon, it seems to be going pretty well, even carrying into Monday. But by the time we reach Tuesday, I can't even remember what was said in church on Sunday. I'll go on a missions trip, and I'll feel changed and renewed and challenged. And I'll go back home thinking, I'm about to live a life of mission. But two weeks later, nothing has really changed. You see, so often... We go about our faith journey holding our breath. We go about our faith journey excited about the prospect of playing a role in this great kingdom without developing any of the necessary involuntary behaviors essential to a life of faith. God did not call us to be people of this world that love Jesus. 
God called us to be children of his kingdom that love on this world. And until prayer and some of these other behaviors become involuntary, second nature to us, we will find that living out his radical faith is a last resort. Is an awkward and unnatural prospect. So I challenge you this week, with every breath you take, be reminded of who your God is and what his desire is for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that we would enter this week into your throne room. Lord, that we would pray ceaselessly. Lord, that when it feels unnatural, when it feels repetitive, when it feels structured and rigid, that we would push past that. Recognizing that, Lord, conversation with you, your breath is just as essential to us as Christians as oxygen is to humanity. Lord, give us perseverance as we pray. Fill our lungs with your Spirit and enable us then to participate in the great story you are writing with our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.